you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. That's on page 836, if you're using the Bible in the pew, page 836, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read this morning verses 29 through 39, and then we're going to look specifically at verses 29 through 34. And so here we are in the Gospel of Mark, walking along with Jesus uh, and four of his disciples. We've just had a very exciting time uh, in the synagogue. Uh, You might remember last Lord's Day, as Jesus comes to the synagogue and a man is made whole. And so we pick up the reading at Mark 1, uh, verse 29. This is the word of the living God. And immediately he, that's Jesus, left the synagogue... And entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we again thank you. We have the scripture right before us here in our, in our laps, in our pews. Uh, we have a multitude of Bibles uh, in the building. Uh, We know, Lord, that this is your word that you've given to us, and yet, Lord, we know, too, that unless uh, your Holy Spirit is active in us and among us in this hour, Lord, we know that they will remain words upon the page of Scripture. And so, Lord, we pray that by your grace and mercy you would take what has been written and that you would implant it deep within our hearts, that we might bear fruit in our own life to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the uh, midst uh, of uh, COVID, uh, articles started to appear in newspapers around the country uh, with a common theme during COVID that uh, distancing uh, ourselves from others physically and uh, Refraining from getting close to others also uh, can be detrimental uh, to your physical and spiritual health. Articles appeared like this one. Uh, It was called Touch Starvation, What to Know. Touch starvation is a condition that happens when you don't get as much physical touch as you're used to or any at all. You crave contact, but can't interact with others for some reason. It's also known as touch deprivation or skin hunger. People may develop touch starvation because of social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic, but it can happen with any lack of physical touch 
such as children in orphanages, elderly people in hospitals who don't get enough positive contact. Human touch, this article says, is a huge part of how we interact with others. We shake our co-workers' hands, we hug our loved ones, high-five our friends. We bond through physical touch. When babies are born, doctors suggest mothers hold and comfort them to promote healthy development. This human-to-human interaction keeps up throughout our lives. Even in adulthood, human touch helps regulate sleep and digestion, builds your immune system, and fights infections. When you don't get enough physical touch, you can become stressed and anxious or depressed. This can cause your heart rate, blood pressure, muscle tension, and breathing rate to go up with bad effects for your immune and digestive systems. Things can lead to worse, worse quality of sleep and higher risk of infections, diabetes and asthma, high blood pressure. And uh, all these things may get worse. Uh, Touch, starvation. I never heard of that until COVID. The need for for human touch. Well, this morning, we find Jesus in the midst of many people on the Sabbath day, all looking for a touch from his hand. This is a Sabbath with Jesus. Last, we let, uh, read last time of the uh, beginning of the Sabbath. Uh, folks gathered at the synagogue. It would be a rather uh, unusual morning of worship in the synagogue, we found out, as Jesus appeared and a man uh, was rescued from oppression to an unclean spirit. And after the synagogue meeting that day, we find out that they go to the home of Simon, also known as Peter, and Andrew. Uh, no doubt it would have been uh, uh, it would have been time for a meal, just like after worship here, and especially for our for our children. No doubt worship gets uh, finished, and uh, it's time to go somewhere or home or someone else's home uh, for a meal. It's hard to tell whether Simon uh, brings Jesus to his house uh, because his mother-in-law was ill, or do they simply find her ill when they arrive? Uh, we don't know, but this is what we read, and immediately he. Uh, left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. They all go. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Lay ill there implies she's been sick for some time, lying ill with a fever. Uh, fever there is the word fire. Uh, ill with a fever means she was, she was burning up. And so Simon, Peter... Uh, was married, uh, incidentally. Don't miss that, as these disciples will become 12 apostles. Some, at least, were married, perhaps had children, families, and yes, in-laws as well. Just like you have in-laws as well. And immediately, uh, they told him, they told Jesus about her. Now, this is just, it goes by real quickly, but um, obviously they would have told her about uh, his, uh, or told him about her sickness, but I wonder what that conversation Uh, would it look like introducing your mother-in-law and all her problems to the Holy One of God as Jesus comes over now, not just simply to the synagogue in Capernaum, but now he comes uh, into Simon and Andrew's house. And they introduce Jesus to uh, Peter's mother-in-law. So they may have talked about more things. Um, Both Matthew and Luke record this meeting as well, uh, as you would not be surprised uh, to hear. Luke describes this initial scene of Jesus entering the house uh, in this way in Luke 4, uh, verse 38 and 39. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Remember, Luke is a doctor. High fever. 
And they appealed to him on her behalf. And so they're, and now we realize they're asking for help. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose uh, and began to serve them. So, uh, understandably, Luke, the doctor, uh, mentions this was a particular kind of fever, uh, a high fever, a dangerous fever. Matthew 8:14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. And so the other gospel writers also include this uh, episode in the life of Jesus. Uh, And Mark, as you know, tells it this way. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and left her, and she began to serve them. Now the point is, as we uh, notice the other gospel writers, as they tell this story, as we walk along in the life of Jesus, as we've just seen in the life of Jesus, that as he enters the synagogue uh, with power, with authority, and with the authority of his word, uh, that um, the point is Jesus, the King, the Son of God, the Holy One of God, who comes with power and who comes with authority, uh, can heal in any way he wants. But here, Mark says... He takes her by the hand. We just saw, uh, for the man with the unclean spirit, Jesus simply commanded, uh, come out, and the man was restored. At another time, Jesus will spit on the ground, and he'll, he'll make some mud, and he'll put that mud on a man's eyes and, and heal, a, heal a blind man. Another time, a woman will come, and she will touch Jesus, and she will be healed from her, from her, her bleeding of many years. But here, here he came to Simon Peter's mom-in-law, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. Luke adds, he rebuked the fever, and the fever left her. Now notice here, for Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the problem is. If it's an unclean spirit, a demon, uh, a fever, later we'll see it's wind and waves, no matter, as Lord and King... Uh, He has complete control over them all. This is what we're going to see in this gospel. Never doubt that. Jesus, as he comes as king, has complete control, authority over all. Whether it's a spirit, demon, fever, sickness, wind, waves, doesn't matter. That's important because as we struggle... Uh, As we suffer, as we wonder why the Lord maybe has not brought physical healing in our own circumstance, we need to know that He is the Lord and complete control over all. Yes, sometimes He brings physical healing now. And we will see Him do so often in the Gospel of Mark. And yes, all His people will be made whole one day. But we are also reminded by the Apostle Paul, that that he is Lord and in complete control, not only when he heals our body and removes suffering, but he is Lord and in complete control uh, in and through the suffering that he has ordained for us. You remember these important words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, So to keep... From becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, uh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, said Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He didn't doubt the power of Christ. He's Lord when he removes suffering. He's Lord when he uh, does not remove suffering. For the sake of Christ, said Paul then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, uh, then, I am, then I am strong. That's the thing. See, only a Christian can, can say that. When I am weak, I am strong. We can only say that because the Lord Jesus first says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So never forget that. He's glorified. Not only when we praise Him for removing physical sickness, but He's glorified when we praise Him because we trust Him and love Him and cling to Him in our physical sickness. That's important for us to remember. It's clear here in Mark, though, that He is Lord over all. Oh, to be there that day. To see Jesus. To hear His voice. And to feel uh, the touch of His hand. Now, remember now, Mark says Jesus takes her by the hand. Now, think now. Jesus takes this woman uh, with a high fever, her body burning up by the hand. Unlike us, when we're confronted sometimes with someone in a sick and fevered condition, right? When we see someone who's sick and fevered, it's woohoo! I'll wave from the window. Oh, Jesus doesn't pull back. There's no fear for his own safety here. No, he holds her hand. He's compassionate. He's tender. He's gentle. I'm reminded of a passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah about the Lord. Listen to these words from Isaiah 41, 10 and 13. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, as I hold your right hand, fear not. I am the one who helps you. That's what Isaiah says of the Lord. A few months ago, I was reading a book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. Speaking of the, that, that way that Jesus refers to himself in the Bible. This is what he wrote. The cumulative, the ongoing uh, testimony of the four Gospels, wrote Ortland, is that when Jesus Christ... When Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about his, him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering. Toward the prostitute. Toward the tax collector. Not away from it. When confronted with the fallenness of the world. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, Christ, uh, he said, Christ is love uh, covered over in flesh. That's why I love the Puritans. Christ is love covered over in flesh. Just think about this. Colossians 1.15.16 tells us about Jesus that it's by Him, through Him, uh, all things were created, all things are upheld by Him, sustained by Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He's the one who creates us. He's the one who upholds us. Uh, he's the one now who, who takes His creature in his hands to heal and to help and to restore what's broken and to reverse uh, the consequences of sin. Because no matter what it is broken in this world, not her personal sin, but all sickness, all, all of it is a consequence of sin. 
for which the king has come to announce uh, his kingdom. Authority and power over Satan and his demons, authority and power over all creatures, men, women, children, our very bodies created by him, belong to him, our bodies are made for him, touched by him, and restored in him. You remember in 1 Corinthians 6 where it's talking about um, uh, sexual immorality and there the Apostle Paul says, don't you remember that you, know, the, the, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price, uh, so glorify God with your body. Yeah, our bodies too belong to Him. He created them. And, and here the Creator uh, takes hold of, of one of His creatures and she's restored. Glorify God in your body. Now here's the thing. That's exactly what Peter's mother-in-law does in response to Jesus. Did you notice this? And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up. The fever left her, and the Bible says she began uh, to serve them. Luke says at once she began to serve them. It's the word there, serve, diakoneo. It means, we translate it as deacon. It means minister. It's used broadly in the New Testament for all God's people. All are ministers in a certain sense. We all serve one another. And then particularly of the deacon who leads in the ministry of mercy in the church, encourages us. It was so good to see so many folks out yesterday serving here at the, at the church uh, building. But notice what one commentator says about this. Notice she, she, she at once gets up to serve. Jesus had already lifted her up, says one, but now of a sudden the fever left her as all three evangelists state. Moreover, she did not even say, now think about this, if you had been laying ill with a fever for a long time. She did not even say, I'm rid of the fever, but I'm completely exhausted. No, nothing of the kind. On the contrary, one moment just before Jesus had taken her by the hand and had rebuked the fever, there were still those flushed cheeks that burning hot skin, profuse sweating, dryness in the throat, all those things you get when you have a, a high fever. Or else, depending on the kind of fever, there may have been violent shivering. And the next moment, every fever symptom had vanished completely. Not only was the woman's temperature normal, but such a surge of new strength was coursing through her entire being that she herself insisted on getting up at once and beginning to serve as a busy hostess. She began to wait on all those present. There's a few. Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, John, and no doubt also her daughter, who's not mentioned in this passage. She gets up at once. It was probably mealtime, and Mom has just met Jesus. Mom has seen and heard and felt the touch of Jesus' hand, and how does she, how does she respond? Well, not like plenty of professing Christians in America today, as they respond to Jesus. That is, I now believe in Jesus. What are you going to do for me? Um, I now believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Come on, church, entertain me. I now believe in Jesus. Serve me. I now believe in Jesus. Uh, make me want to come and be with God's people. You know, entertain. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make me come somehow to want to be with the people of God. Now that I'm a Christian, maybe you could give me. Maybe you could offer me something. Maybe a discount on my tithe, and then I'll come uh, and worship. Maybe can I get special credits for attending Bible study? Maybe. Uh, how about a reserved parking spot out here? Wow me 
impress me. No. Mm -mm. Those who see, hear, and have been touched by Jesus themselves, by the loving, merciful, gracious, gentle, and lowly Jesus, seek to serve. She got up at once and served him. Well, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was not the only one who felt the touch of Jesus that day. Evening comes, Mark tells us, sundown. Sabbath is over. Remember, the fame of Jesus had spread everywhere after the man in the synagogue had been set free. And word has gone out, and then they, they begin to come. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. The verb there implies a continuous action. They brought and continued to bring a steady stream of people to the house. Why? Because there was a hope, uh, a hope somehow for themselves, hope for their recovery, hope for their being setting, setting free and set free. Uh, we had a wonderful time this past, I think it was this past Tuesday, uh, Juan Mendez joined our session meeting and presented a new ministry that he's beginning in, in Woodstown called Hope House for Families. And we were so encouraged as he talked about a, a house for men to come who are recovering from addictions to start, uh, to start a new, new life, to start over. And we were so encouraged because he talked about not only providing practical things, like they're there to help men get their license and get a job. And, and, uh, but we we're so thankful to hear him say, well, they, they come here because we, we, we want to bring them the, to the gospel of Christ so that they would become uh, men of God. That's the, that's the goal, to bring them to Christ because that's without him. Uh, I remember one said something like that. Without him, it doesn't matter. And, and so, because there's hope for some kind of recovery, some change. And, and here, here in Capernaum, they've heard about Jesus. Word gets out. Some are sick. Some are oppressed by demons. But word gets out that there is hope. And the Bible says they start to stream towards Jesus. The whole city. Now, no doubt this is hyperbole here. Not every last person, uh, but pretty near. Notice the Bible says all who are sick. It means all who had it badly. All who are in a bad way, like Peter's mother-in-law, and all oppressed by demons gathered at the door. So think, for instance, Christmas caroling this past December, all gathered at the door, but a hundred times more people. Uh, you know, when we were at the Perkins and we're gathered at the door and we come in and it's all kind of crowded. Think a hundred times more. We're talking, a, or, or think about the, the end of the movie Field of Dreams where people from all over the country are seen uh, driving to a baseball field in the middle of the corn in Iowa hoping to find what they're looking for. They're coming from all over, they're streaming to that one place. It's said that 10 miles away from Capernaum in the city of Tiberias at this time, uh, there was a popular uh, mineral hot springs that kind of served in Bible times as the kind of uh, resort of the time. And so, the picture here is instead of people streaming to Tiberias, as they did, now they're coming to, to Jesus. It's like instead of people, you know, streaming from across the country, uh, past us, streaming to Atlantic City, instead they start streaming to the churches to find the one they've heard of, whose name is, whose name is Jesus. That's what's going on here. Now, we understand, of course, that many would come to Jesus with, uh, with mixed Motives. 
impure motives. In fact, Jesus will alert us to this himself in the Gospel of John when he had fed so many miraculous and miraculously and word got out about him. But you remember what Jesus said about the folks who were streaming at that time in John 6, 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so Jesus already alerts us to the fact, well, whenever these crowds come, yeah, there's going to be mixed motives, there's going to be impure motives. But even in John 6, it's not that Jesus says, get out of here. He says, instead, I know your, your motives are impure, but let me tell you, this is what you really want. This is what you really need. You need to believe in me as the Son of God. And then you will find true life. You see, bread's not really your problem. It's eternal life that I offer. And I offer that to you, says Jesus. Even in John 6. So no doubt many here in Capernaum that night were only concerned with their physical and temporary ailment and did not come to Jesus knowing and believing and receiving Him as their Savior from eternal death with power to grant eternal life through faith in Him. Like many today. Being a Christian for many, is a means to a temporal end only. Some folks come to church for good connections in the business community. Some, church, some folks come to church because they want their kids to be moral. They want their kids to learn some behavior. And they come to a church. And, uh, or they want some prosperity and they think that if they go to church on Sunday, somehow the Lord will be favorable to them and, and they'll succeed in, in their business. And they come for impure motives and Jesus is seen for some today in our country as a means to a greater end. I'll profess faith in Jesus so that I can get this, which is what I really want. And no doubt that's happening here in Capernaum. But of course, friends, Jesus is never a means to an end. right? Jesus is the end. right? He's the one we come to and find great joy in. But notice this. Even though all that's true, Notice what the Bible says in verse 34. The whole city's gathered there at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Luke tells us these demons, as they came out, were crying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus, no, no. You're not to give testimony to me. Uh, My name will be known in my time through my disciples. So they're not to speak. But notice, notice this, friends. Despite the mixed motives, he healed many. He cast out many demons. In his kindness, in his grace, in his goodness, uh, he is proclaiming to all who came to the door, I am the Lord. And I have control over sickness and demons. And even though they come from impure motives, uh, he proclaims the truth so that they might be turned in faith to him, not seeking loaves of bread, but seeking the bread of life. Matthew will say, when this happens, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses 
and bore our diseases. That's what's going on here. Jesus, grace and mercy, taking uh, these burdens upon himself. Friends, the heart of Jesus for the sick, the heart of Jesus for those oppressed, shines through here, the whole city, gathered at the door, and the Lord heals, the Lord sets free. Matthew says, with a word, He heals them. Luke tells us, He laid His hands on every one of them. As one has put it, Christ's power to heal was never lacking. His love and sympathy, His love and sympathy never failed. So while we're thinking about Jesus' love and sympathy and compassion, notice how wide it is here. He doesn't reserve it just for his disciples, not even for Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, it's not reserved for some kind of inner circle, his disciples and their family. No, it reaches, the Bible says, to the whole town of Capernaum. Notice also there's a distinct difference, the Bible says here, that everyone could identify and tell between those who were oppressed by spirits and the sick who needed healing. You know, some folks today say, oh, you know, the Bible's so primitive. Uh, all those folks in the Bible attributed every sickness to demons. No, they didn't. There were those who were sick, and there was uh, the evil one at work in others. But nonetheless, Jesus lays his hands on them. Why is this so important? Because if Jesus is a cold and reluctant Christ, that means that you will be a cold and reluctant Christian. Uh, a gracious and compassionate Christ that we see here, who reaches to his, his own creation to take them by the hand and lift them up, a gracious and compassionate Christ means gracious and compassionate Christians who reach out to even those with a High fever, you see. If you believe Jesus, for instance, doesn't have time for your problems and burdens, and you're a nuisance to Him, you will not have time for the problems and burdens of others and consider them a nuisance to you. But that is not the Jesus of the Bible. For we, Hebrews says, for we, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is made like us in every way except for sin. And then the Bible says, let us then, let us then, if that's true, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, the Bible says he's full of compassion and he calls us to come. See, Jesus knows we are broken. Jesus knows we are sick. Jesus knows our need. He also knows we are sinners and he knows we are weak. He knows we have messed up motives and lives and minds and hearts. And yet, this passage says his arms are still open to the folks in Capernaum who are coming. He doesn't tell the crowd gathered at the door. He could have. Think about the day he's had so far. 
He didn't tell the, the, the crowd at the door, leave me alone. Time for bed. Don't bother me. No time for you, remember? My preaching, he could have said, my preaching was interrupted this morning at the synagogue by that unclean spirit. I didn't even, I, uh, my lunch was delayed. Uh, I had to heal this, this woman. And now I can't even get rest at night. You're still coming. No, he doesn't say that. And they've come for the touch of his hand. And he's willing, he's gracious, and many, the Bible says, find healing. Of course, you know, Jesus would say it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's Jesus who would say, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here's, friends, what the Bible so graciously reveals to us. That we are all sinners. No one righteous, no not one. We are all, we are all sick. In fact, it's worse, the Bible says. We are all dead. We're all dead in sin. We're all dead in sin. But the gospel is this. Jesus the King comes with his power, comes with his authority, comes with his word, and comes with his compassion. And takes us by the hand to make us whole. All will be whole, body and soul, in Him when He returns. Some, as we see in the Scripture, some He heals physically today, but they will die again. Lazarus was was healed and digging out of the grave, but he still had to face death. But all who trust in Him can know life and peace and forgiveness and love and mercy and restoration today. And he calls us to come. This is what we read, Matthew eleven twenty eight, and these famous words to us. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And so uh, we say with Simon's mother-in-law, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. When my way grows drear, Precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past and gone, at the river I stand. Guide my feet, hold my hand. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. May we find the hand of the Lord, even today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture that speaks to us about the heart of compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, dear God, that as he could heal by uh, any means, that he could just say the word. But here, dear Lord, we see his tenderness and gentleness and compassion uh, for poor, weak, weary, sinful, sick sinners Lord, that he reaches out his hand here and and lifts uh, this mother-in-law up to her feet so that she might 
go forth to serve. Lord, we thank you that we serve the same Jesus today. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be convicted today of our own weakness, of our own sin, and that it's only in Jesus, uh, in the touch of his hand, uh, that we too are made whole. Help us, Lord, to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus today, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has come to rescue not only others, uh, but to rescue and lift us up as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.